0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of The Sample Hour. I was actually going to release this episode after um, uh, Diego Futter, but I switched it around because of the current events. So I have Diego's episode coming out on Thursday, um, so look forward to that. But uh, this episode I did with a good buddy of mine um, who's actually a listener of the show, and I actually tell you how I meet him in the show, so I'm not going to spoil that now. But uh this is a little bit different than small scale farming and this is more to do with politics. I haven't done shows on politics for a while. But with the just all this fake news bullshit and everything else like that that's been coming out. I kind of wanted to talk about it and uh we recorded this right after like Pizzagate came out, like the information about Pizzagate and now it's just been a whole slew of stuff. Now it appears that the CIA is saying that the FBI helped Russia rig the election. And then the FBI is doing all these investigations saying that, no, we investigated this. This isn't it. Now, as a freedom-loving libertarian uh, slash anarchist, whatever, I just like to call myself contrarian these days thanks to the uh tutelage and... uh friendship of Greg Burns and I've I decided to embrace just more the fact of being a contrarian. Um so with that, uh you know, I I don't really like any of the organizations, but if you guys haven't read Confessions of an Economic Hitman, I highly recommend you read it. In that book, um uh this gentleman John Perkins, he he's actually written two books. One's The Secret History of the American Empire. That's a sequel to Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Um, they're both great books, so i I'd, I'd recommend either renting for the library or if you have an Audible, if you are an Audible user, I recommend you listen to them. Uh, but basically, he talks about, and if you Google him, you can find speeches. He's he's a little bit of a of a hippie these days, but he's still a cool guy. Um, he talks a lot about what he did, and he was basically an economic hitman. So basically, he'll he goes through the it, but. In the book, he he basically talks about how the CIA, which it's it's kind of common knowledge now, the CIA has created coups amongst multiple governments. Um, so I don't trust the CIA at all. I trust them less than the FBI. I don't really know what's going on. It's out of my control. These days, my politics have more to do with growing food and butchering pigs and everything else like that. But it's still fun to talk about, guys. So with that being said, this podcast is kind of in this vein, so... This last election with Trump, which um, for those of you that are friends with me on Facebook, you know I, I troll quite a bit um, with Donald Trump, and it's, it's really funny to me. And you know, I've been trying to stop, um, but you know it, it was the the election for the conspiracy theorist with the help of WikiLeaks and everything else. So this that's what this podcast is about. We don't talk about. Uh, oh we talk about a lot of different stuff. This is almost two hours long. So, if you're looking for a farming podcast, this isn't it. But if you still want to be entertained and you want to hear a little bit about conspiracies that have come true and how weird it is and everything else like that, that's what me and my good friend Damon talk about. So, anyways, guys, with that being said, enjoy the show.
1: I'm not a beer or cider person, and they're actually yeah. both uh, quite nice, which is a home run compared to my normal experience.
0: Yeah, I, you know, uh, Michael Jordan, the bee whisperer he he put that uh, item out here. He's not the same Michael Jordan, you know. He uh, he came. Uh, I had him come out, and he like he he makes all of his own mead from his own honey and everything, and that was one of the recipes. So before I made just cider, just winging it, and uh, it was okay. And he kind of explained to me, well, if you use recipes, they usually taste better. And I was like, well, that makes sense. So that's that's what we did. But I mean, we're we're drinking the uh, the bottles right here. Yeah, bring that up. So we just went out to old school and had some good smoked wings. But this is the mutant killer Manhattan project, or the mutant killer zombie Manhattan project thingy. We had some of this out at uh, um, Hogtoberfest. Michael Jordan and uh, my brothers, my buddy Scott, and all of us shared it. So you don't know who these people are, Damon, but my listeners do. So, but uh, yeah, so welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. This is going back old school, man. I used to uh, just have on, um, I don't know, I used to have kind of a variety. Now I'm more focused on uh, small scale farming, but tell you what I don't think you guys mind this Damon is a would you would you consider yourself an anarchist as well more so how would you
1: um, the term anarchist has violent connotations the but, voluntarist. but um well, I'm not familiar with that term, but yeah, I do consider myself an anarchist, although i mean i mean I'm very libertarian um to the point of anarchism. Yeah. Uh, But I don't, I mean, obviously I don't advocate for violence.
0: No, we don't either. We just understand that we're for not having rulers. Yeah.
1: Um, I I do advocate for a much smaller government uh, within human society. Yeah. And um, that's just a cat. Don't worry.
0: Cats are running around the house, guys. And uh, Damon is a little bit allergic today. Not usually. That's a weird thing, but the season has made him
1: more allergic. So, yeah, the um, uh, I am having a little bit of allergic reaction. But we have we have two white boys here. Yeah, <laughs> you've had your Bloody Mary. I have. I've had my Old fashioned I had my White Russian too. And and now we are ready for. We're uh, drinking some cider. Yeah. A podcast. We are.
0: We were. We we're getting dinner. So me and Damon met through. Uh, through two beers with charles um, he read about me in the blog on the uh, maxkaiser.com hit me up on twitter and said hey dude let's hang out facebook friend of me we actually met on met at north uh, north high brewery and then it was like oh yeah i was a rogan fan too and like we talked about how i used to know red band and uh, so it's like we are uh, i guess our taste in entertainment has been very similar in in our past but we were running down similar things we had similar interests but we didn't know each other and then thankfully because of the internet and charles hugh smith we were able to come together in our town
1: our our relationship is actually very uh interesting within the the context of the internet because um because i uh I'm a very big fan of Max Kaiser, maxkaiser.com, the Kaiser Report, which is on Russia Today. And on his website, he frequently publishes Charles Hugh Smith of Two Minds. I think he publishes all of his blogs. Yeah, Yeah. it it frequently shows up on there. And I um, became a fan of Charles Hugh Smith's writings. And one day he was writing about uh, this guy named Drew who decided to set up a small-scale farm uh, at his home and uh, was basically diversifying and trying to uh, uh, come up with a new business model that uh, would reflect um, the, the realities that we face economically in terms of peak oil and, uh, just the, uh, the state of the American empire. And I was reading about this guy named Drew.
0: Yeah. And I, uh, and I
1: didn't put that much thought into it. Charles just likes to make yeah. me sound good. No, Charles is an amazing <laughs> writer. Shout out to Charles. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And, um, and, and I was reading about this guy named Drew and it turns out he's in Columbus, Ohio, and I live in Columbus, Ohio. And even before I realized that fact, I was like, well, this guy sounds a lot like me. And then suddenly I yeah. discovered that he was in Columbus, Ohio, so, uh, and then we
0: got drunk and we were like, well, oh
1: yeah, we're like best friends. Yeah. I, I, found, <laughs> I found you on Twitter and sent you a message and then the next thing I, you know, I blink and we're hanging out yeah. and, um, and you have a podcast and yeah. And then, and then you, you also came over and helped
0: me do some work and on the farm like one weekend when I still had a job, it was one of when I, I just quit the farmer's market and I needed to get a bunch of work done and you did a ton of good work for me and I, I bought you, uh bought you some Ray Ray's and then uh, you're like, I'm not drinking. Then I got you uh, a little bit buzzed on bourbon. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that,
1: but I, I said that I wasn't drinking. Yeah. You're
0: like, I haven't, been, I haven't been drinking that much recently. And then we, we did a bunch of work. Like we worked from 7 a.m. To, to 1130 and then we went to Ray Ray's and we got some, uh, some food from Ray Ray's, which check it out. If it's the best barbecue, and Columbus, for sure, even though we went to old school, old school's good, but Ravens just crushes uh, old school when it comes but they don't do wings and they don't have a variety and they don't have their own cocktails. but
1: you remember that? Oh, absolutely. yeah, um, yeah. so for those of you that don't know, um, within the in Columbus, Ohio, on the Ohio State University campus, there's the Old North area which uh is directly north of campus and it and it sort of merges into the Clintonville community. Yeah,
0: and then you go uh east not, and then there's Linden and that's where I am.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and um uh and so uh the the merging of various neighborhoods and the continuing decentralization that we're seeing uh economically across America but but very especially within Columbus. Uh you and I uh, went to a bar, basically. On on weekend evenings, it's a bar. And on Sunday at noon when we went there, it was just a place to get food from uh, a trailer or a truck, which yeah. is Ray Ray's Barbecue, and it's fabulous. And uh, I was making the usual protestations that I'm not drinking that much these days, which is... <laughs> Which uh, is, uh. which is similar to a college sophomore female who says that she never does this on the second you know, day. You know,
0: the funny thing was at Turkey Fest this weekend,
1: uh, I, I do this,
0: uh, this other guy, he has his small scale life podcast and blog Tom, uh, Tom Domress and Tom, uh, he's a, he's a good dude, man. I gotta, I gotta link up with him again. And, uh. So we were doing this like healthy lifestyle podcast, and so I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop drinking after Oktoberfest and that was like October eighth. And then the next weekend, I go out to uh, my buddy Greg's and we same place, and we go and plant trees and everything. He's like, "Yeah, so you're not drinking?" I'm like, "Yeah, just give me a give me a fucking cider." So I drank this big bottle of cider, and uh, then they they give me shit about it. So I guess all I'm really trying to say is I do the same thing. Sorry for interrupting you, Damon, but yeah, I, I do the same thing. I think we all are like, yeah, I'm going to drink less and everything. And I don't know, man, it just, we're in the, we're in the Midwest. It's the number one form of entertainment
1: It's food and food and beverage, man. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Already we've come upon an interesting topic and that is the prevalence of drinking in American society. Yeah. And, um, Certainly since 2008, uh, drinking has increased in American society and it it isn't like it was a minority variable before that. I mean, American society is about drinking and, um, you, you know, we, we claim that there's not this recession going on. But the amount of drinking that we see, drinking of alcohol that we see in American society uh, directly refutes that.
0: Yeah, I man, but I also think it, it kind of is, especially for the Midwest, and this is something that I, I talk to Charles about a lot, is that it's the new backbone, I think, of the economy is, is – is, Anywhere across the U- U.S., you're not going to have factories, but you're going to have microbreweries or, or different artisan hubs. Like, I was just in Florida, man, and and there's this cool spot. It was a microbrewery called, like, Crooked Cork out of Winter Garden. Had pretty good beer, like, pretty strong beer. But it was kind of like a small north market, and it was just, like, this this warehouse style. And you can walk in, and you can get a beer, and then they have – you can see the microbreweries to the left when you walk in, like, the big uh, – little brew things and then they have a beer garden outside so you can go outside and just drink beer if you want and people will even come out and serve you or you just walk in if they're too busy and you go to the window and you can get beer or you can grab your beer walk around They have a place where you can get cold burn pizza you can get uh have a coffee roaster in there so you can get freshly roasted coffee but still hasn't come to the midwest but is a big thing coming uh they had like little soap soap things local artisan they had a butcher they had a sushi's place and I think little little areas like that are are going to be the future. Like you know, it's like little hubs, and it, and actually, it, you know, it's it's not inexpensive. I mean, it's it's gonna it's gonna cost a decent amount of money, but it's it's good quality and there's a lot of value there. And and I think even at that, it's a hit place to hang out. And I think what what you're saying definitely rings a bell when it comes to like, there we really are in another recession, but at the same time, like. You know, I feel like that recession is actually leading to the new economy, if that makes sense. Because people are going to keep drinking alcohol, man. I mean, it's, it's not it's it's not it. It's yeah. like it's uh the funniest thing I ever heard was "thank you craft beer." Now my alcoholism became a hobby. Yeah, and it's and yeah. it's so true though. Like it's it's you know like I mean like we had we went to a place we were talking earlier, and we went to a place. We got good dinner. We had some good cocktails. Each of our tabs were like thirty or forty or fifty bucks, right? Like, and it was, you know, but were we upset? No, we had great. We had a great meal. We had we had some good drinks. We had good conversation. We had, you know, we were at a cool little hit place, and it, and it's like, you know, people don't mind paying for it, you know the value of it. We just want good quality, and I think if I think that's, you know, when it comes to the Midwest, when the number one form of entertainment is food or going out to eat or getting drinks, I mean, I mean, that's most of America, right?
1: Yeah. I, um, I mean, there's a couple of things that you said that are, um, worthy of reflection. Uh, number one, uh, when you look at the human condition, uh, people are homo sapiens are able to adapt to a, a very large number of variables and people are willing to put up with all sorts of um, uh, people are willing to put up with all sorts of things in their life that they don't want to put up with, as long as they are willing to have the basic, um, you know, good food, shelter, uh, a, a sense of belonging, uh, some manifestation of love and community. And people are, homo sapiens are amazingly adaptable. And so, uh, you know, when looking at politics, economics, society as a whole, uh, it's very easy to ignore some of the macro trends that exist uh, because people are adaptable and people can um, accept a great deal of suffering as long as they have, uh, the basic necessities of life. And additionally, uh, I think that as a species, um, well, possibly as a species, but definitely as a, as an American society and just looking at the economics of where we're at, um, I think there's a, there are definite trends towards decentralization politically, and economically. And I think that craft breweries and local food production and things such as that are the first wave of of this type of movement. And uh, people are, I I mean, barring some massive shift in the human condition, people are going to continue drinking alcohol and consuming mind-altering substances. And so, therefore... Uh, the economies of scale that are necessary to produce wine or beer uh, or even liquor in a small-scale production, uh, the barriers to entry are very small. And so as uh, a, as our economic uh, options are being limited by this um, postmodern mercantilism, as I call it, uh, this this movement of globalization – what we're seeing is is that people that don't have better options are, are are starting to engage in small-scale production of the basic necessities of life. And so alcohol production and small-scale farming are, are the first wave of this. And um, there, there's a lot of different conversations that can be had on this topic. But, but even uh, local artisanry, man. And, and that's, yeah, and that's why I try to say
0: like, if you go to Youngstown, Ohio, man. Like, it's I was I was trying to tell my brother it like Youngstown versus Toledo, like Youngstown, and I I talk about this a lot too with two beers with Charles because it's it's like along the same topics, but they have one brewery now, which is amazing, and it's good beer. They don't do growlers; they do these things called crowlers. It's called a Rust Belt Brewery, and they um they can the beer because they don't want to fill up a growler cuz they're it's something the owner does and he's he just basically says he can't control the quality of control if the growler's not clean it's like well just clean the growler and um the other thing like they have my brother my brother came down and he's like yeah check out the soap and I'm like where did you get that soap from he's like just some shop in Youngstown or then we went to this this bread shop right and it's all like old school we make bread, and it's like so a place where industry completely left. That 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 city already hit rock bottom. You can get a house still in a nice area for like fifteen grand, and it's 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 actually hit rock bottom and it's rebuilding now. I mean, the population I think's gone down like it's it's five times smaller than what it was at its peak, or probably even more than that. I mean, Youngstown used to be a booming area. Um, so when you look at the new economy, or or what's actually going to be taking place, or what are the 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 ways to go with decentralization? You look at forgotten cities, like a, like a, Detroit's not completely forgotten. Like it's it's easy to say Detroit; it's a hip thing to say Detroit. Yes, um, but Detroit's I don't think is a good example. I think a good example is a place like Youngstown, where it wasn't a super large city, but it was a big enough city. And industry left. And now it's rebuilding itself. And so how is it rebuilding itself? Well, it still has Youngstown State. My stepdad works there because my stepdad's job is to convert every single degree to online degrees. So he actually left Columbus. because Skillsoft, uh, Mitt Romney's company, bought his company and laid everybody off. And he got, you know, a job at the university and the university is actually growing now. They have like the university. And it is interesting because as a guy that doesn't really like secondary education or would tell, which we both agree on is a joke. Universities are actually good for city economies, though. That's the weird thing. Like you look at Columbus. Yeah. How many, how many schools we have. So, but at the same time, you know, it's not that they don't, they're useless. It's just, they need to be more functional. Like right now, they're not really functional. But Youngstown State is a place where it is functional in a sense because most of their students now are most. They're trying to convert it. Some a lot of the income that's coming in is going to be through the internet. So, but then they're still there. They still have a presence. You know what I mean? So, um, I don't know, man. I, I kind of wandered off there. Maybe the alcohol well, started kicking it. No,
1: you. Um, no, you said a couple things that were very interesting. Uh, most, I assert. That most people, when you're talking about the basic necessities of life like food, soap, um, shelter, most people don't have any real strong preferences about the source of that, as long as they have that.
0: Unless they kind of feel a good quality of it, then I feel like it changes that
1: for a lot right, of people. Right, right. Well, well, well. That's another. That's another interesting point. I, I mean. You go to the grocery store and the tomatoes come from Brazil and the, the pineapple comes from Hawaii or Venezuela or, you know, I don't even know where. But, uh, but people have, as a consumer, people have no emotional attachment to any of it. Like, like oh, these tomatoes are from Brazil. Like, I got to have my Brazilian tomatoes, right? It, it doesn't matter where the tomato comes from. It doesn't matter where the soap comes from. It doesn't matter where the alcohol comes from. uh, As long as it's good, people are enrolled and people will pay good money. So speaking in terms of economics, the only question is, is, is does my consumerism of this product support my local community or not? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, And, and, and so, um, the, already we're talking about peak oil, like, you know, oil has for the last 50, 70 years, oil as an energy source has, uh, been basically cost free. Absolutely. Uh, and, and this has promoted globalism on a massive scale. And um, whether or not you believe that we are entering peak oil or whatever your opinion is upon uh, microeconomics and also macro macroeconomics, we are looking at a shift that has been going on for whatever reason uh, that people are beginning to focus more on local production. Yeah, and it, and
0: it makes the most sense, though. In reality, I mean, it, it's like you know, it's weird because people like make fun of me, and they're like, <laughs> like "Hipsters, uh, hipsters say that, uh, you know, local eat local, blah blah blah." It's like this hipster thing, but it's like you know, hipsters are economic driving factors, and it's and it's uh, it's like goofy because we were we were, uh, I was joking around this weekend, like my my
1: buddies. Are you all right? Yes. Um, no, I got a little choked up at what you were saying. I don't know how much of it got in the recording. Um, <laughs> no, you turned I, it off right away, but it was I funny. think people people don't even think about what you're talking about right now. Yeah. People don't think about, oh, these tomatoes came from Brazil. Maybe I don't want to buy them. Yeah, well, they're starting to. Well, yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of that. But, the, but, it, but it comes from hipsters well, in reality. Like, they set the trend. That entire movement has basically been taken over by the Uber capitalist forces that exist within our society. Yeah. I mean I mean, the entire green movement has basically been taken anytime there's any type of transformative conversation going on yeah. about who we are as a people yeah and what products we buy and where those products come from and how they're produced and how that might impact the globe that we live within yeah anytime that conversation begins it immediately gets taken over yeah by the forces of uh global corporatism and capitalism quote unquote capitalism yeah uh it, it, that that language and those words the way we define them are immediately taken over, and and so so the entire green movement, for example, it's a fucking joke. The entire green, yeah, it's a joke. Uh, green green movement, as as uh, James Howard Consler likes to say, saying that my product is green is just another way of saying buy my product.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and and uh, it that happens with everything, though. I mean, and that's why you have to have new terms like organic. All right, so. The joke is right. So one of my affiliates is the guy I get my pork from. One of my best friends, Greg, and Greg Burns is out of. He's like a, a part-time farmer. Like he does it part-time. He can't. He raises pigs ethically, and like you know, we like to say you know beyond organic, craft, forest-raised, cicada finished. All we like it's a joke because we add more more like marketing terms onto it but the right. funny thing is you have to right because like everyone's about well pastured pork but it's like okay well if you raise pigs there's only two breeds of pigs that aren't going to tear up your pasture if you raise them on pasture and, right and it's like a cooney cooney an american um guinea hog and and so these pigs like i, I feel good i paid premium dollar but actually i got you know half a hog and it was a big ass hog and i'm I'm super happy i got the best tasting bacon i ever had the best taste, tasting ground pork we just smoked the ribs and that's the weird thing too Is like when you eat when you buy half a hog and you're used to smoking a bunch of ribs or eating a bunch of ribs and you're like oh well i only get one set of ribs interesting every time i order ribs Let's say I get four racks of ribs. That's two hogs. Where's the rest of that meat going? It makes you think about a lot of shit, right? When you have, I have a whole freezer filled with half a pig and I got a lot of meat and this is a pig that was over 400 pounds when it was, when it was killed. And so the whole, the whole point is, is like, you know, there's this really good documentary American meat. And I had, uh, this guy, Graham Merriweather, he did it and I've had him on the podcast and, um, he does a great job of showing the difference between regular factory raised meat versus organic meat, which is still factory raised meat. And then it shows Joel Salton, which is like, you know, the way meat's supposed to be raised. But then you say, well, it's beyond organic. Oh, what do you mean? Well, it's raised in the forest. It's, you know, finished on acorns. I mean, it's, eats. you know, this, this pig gets to be a pig. I mean, I went in there, I, this pig, nudging at my feet rubbing on my legs giving it i was giving it belly rubs and then we went to oktoberfest and i see this pig you know my my buddy greg reads the swindle berry poem takes a swig of moonshine goes in it's like a ritual right there's all of us there it's a it's a it's a community ritual event right so greg goes in he looks at this pig and and out of the you know five other times i've been in the pig pen with greg or like the pig paddock that he had in the forest and in the woods you know it was this black pig and he'd be like this is my buddy he always comes in when i'm in here like he always rubs my legs i give him belly rubs right so greg's going in and he's looking for the best shot because you want to shoot in the head with like a 22 and then so it, you knock right. it out right and then you and that's when you cut its throat and so sure enough it's greg's buddy that comes up to him and it's like man this is really fucking heavy like this is a heavy thing like it, I know Greg loves this pick. I I love this pick. Like I've rubbed given it belly rubs. but you know what? That's that's a relationship you should have. That's a relationship you should cultivate with your food. It's it's not going to a fucking store and saying, "Well, this is a good deal. I get ground pork for this," which I've done. I've done that plenty of times, but I think I think when you put things in perspective and you look at nature and then you you try to experience things in a sense of oh, uh, God bless you, man, these cats are really getting the Dam you try to experience things in a sense of man um uh, being a steward of nature, and then you 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 get you get an understanding of what our impact is on this planet, and you get an understanding of you know like why wouldn't you want to know how your meat's raised i mean you, you think about this is a smart animal. This is an animal that likes belly ropes, likes interactions with humans, just like my cat does. That's sitting on my lap, right? Like why wouldn't you want that? And I think that's, that's the whole point of decentralization and small scale and why food and alcohol and everything is going in. Like I like people like stories too. Like even if we take it back to capitalism, like that's a story, that's the story of my pork. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's the story of my pork. Like, I'm gladly going to pay that kind of money for pork that I've been in there. And I'd be like, man, these pigs lived a good life. You know, some of these pigs were, you know, they would squeal because they didn't want belly rubs because they just wanted to go and lay and burrow and be a pig. And they're like, fuck you, humans. Get out of here. I want to do my thing. But, you know, it's the same thing. Like, you know, you want to know, you should want to know where your alcohol comes from. You should want to know where your food comes from. You should want to know the story behind your soap behind your sofa, behind everything, because it's it's not I think that's that's the, the connectivity of a decentralized economy versus a global economy, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm just drunk and rambling Well, but.
1: well uh no no once again even in your semi drunken state <laughs> you are you are saying things that are very provocative. Um one of the side effects of the global economy is that we have no relationship to the products that we buy on an ethical or personal level. You know, we, um, we buy these products, like take a cell phone. There are rare earth metal, excuse me, there are rare earth minerals that go into the production of the technologies that we that we consume like t- televisions and cell phones and computers and Those rare earth minerals come from Africa and the primary means of production of those rare earth minerals is child slave labor in Africa and specifically in the Congo with coal yeah, tan. And, and those rare earth minerals are then shipped to places like uh, South Korea, Vietnam, where Foxconn is the... the, the China. Yeah. The yeah. they suicide nets on their housing building. Yeah. Foxconn is the main uh, symbol of this type of capitalism. But it's it's not slave labor per se, but it's wage slavery uh, within these countries. And um, those people... Through wage slavery, are forced to produce these products, and then they come here to America and places like America, where you know we buy them, uh, you know, at between two hundred to five hundred dollars on average, uh, based upon our American wages or our European wages, and we have no relationship to the fact that we are morally and economically the equivalent of Romans at the height of the Roman empire. Absolutely. And, 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 and in Africa, especially this is child labor, whether or not it's slave labor, it's child labor, which as a society, we proclaim that we are against, which is also another
0: conversation, which is silly.
1: Yeah. And, um, And and so our society of convenience has, has led us to this point where we have no relationship, no emotional relationship, no existential relationship to the food that we buy in a grocery store. And so you're talking about buying a half a pig and for the first time ever, I've heard you talk about how yeah. that pig enjoyed belly rubs. Oh man! It,
0: oh, if I certain pigs, if you didn't give belly rubs, they're just like dogs, and then they just snout. Except they're a lot more aggressive when it comes to give me love. I mean, they'll they're stronger, especially a four hundred pound pig, three hundred pound pig. If it's snouting you. You're gonna you're gonna feel that snout pushing you. Yeah, and
1: and and we are so judgmental about asian societies where they eat dog because it's true i still don't want to eat fucking dog though <laughs> well yeah i mean i mean i mean i'm a dog person i'm a dog lover and um on a conscious level i have it that i would not eat a dog but on another level at the level of identity um you know, I'm a I'm a white male. I'm heterosexual. You, I'm, how dare you, you? You know, you know, you I'm
0: patriar- a You, you're part of the patriarchy. Well, right. Uh, I, I mean, you I mean, privileged man.
1: Right. How dare you? I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a badass. I'm a, I'm a you know I'm a I'm a guy that would let's just it, say
0: it. Let's just say it, Damon. You're a lawyer. Oh, well, I am a <laughs>
1: lawyer. Um. <laughs> No, no, sorry, uh, but but uh, uh, getting back to my point, like like if I was in an Asian society where they where they were serving me dog, I'd eat it. Right, I would eat it. Absolutely, I would eat it. Yeah, uh, I think I think like not to inter-
0: sorry for interrupting you, but I think if all this bullshit about not understanding people's cultures, like eat fucking food with people, man, go to people's homes that are from a different area, <laughs> invite them over for dinner to your house first. Beats, make them a traditional meal from your culture. What am I? I'm a fucking hillbilly. Like, I could say I'm Appalachian, whatever. I'm a hillbilly, man. Like, I mean, like, I'll cook you biscuits and gravy. We're going to eat some pork chops. We're going to eat some, you know what I mean? We're going to eat some some good fucking food. And it's going to be heavy pork fat, heavy, heavy lard based. Like, everything is cooked in lard. You know what I mean? Right. There's, There's two
1: angles to that. Like, if I was in a Asian country... Where they where dog is routinely on the menu, there are two angles to it. Number one, um, I am going to be sensitive to the cultural sensitivities of the people that I am a guest of. Yeah, that's and, a that's a that's something you should do. It's respectful. Yes, and, and and if they are serving me dog, I will eat it with a smile on my face, even if I am ideologically opposed to eating it. And number two, I'm just I'm just a badass sort of dude, like like. I'm willing to try stuff that's outside of my comfort zone. And so if I'm willing to go to a place like that, I'm willing to eat dog, um, eat ants, eat things that aren't traditional fare like, in uh, society. What was
0: that guy's name? He had that good show on the Food Network. I didn't, I didn't watch the Food Network, but I know what he is. It was like Strange Eats. Anthony de Bourdain? No, it was a fat guy, bald guy. And he would go and eat the weirdest shit, but he's like a, like he's been a, a guest chef on Chopped, which is actually a show that got me into cooking for myself. Um, he's, uh, I think it's something I want to say Andrew Zimmer. I could be wrong though. I'll, I have no idea. I have a Google machine. Keep talking. And I'll pull it up. Wow. Um, wow. Asian but,
1: culture. We were talking about Asian culture yeah. eating ants. No, I think I uh let me uh, well let me just talk about what I want to talk about. Um what you were saying about the pigs liking to have their uh enjoying having their bellies rubbed. I had never heard you say that before. And that is fascinating to me because you know, we go to the grocery store here in America. Here in America we go to the grocery store and we buy things that are wrapped in plastic and Um, we have zero relationship to what the heck it is that we're even buying. We, we don't know where these tomatoes have come from. We don't know where the pineapple has come from and we don't even know where the meat has come from. We don't know if it came from someplace, uh, just outside of central Ohio where we are located or if it came from, from friggin' Texas or Montana or Alaska or, Uruguay. New Zealand. Yeah, a lot
0: of our meat actually comes from Uruguay. A lot of our food does. Um, I know all... I, keep going. I,
1: I had no idea that Uruguay was a place where a lot of our meat came from. I just threw yeah. that out there.
0: Yeah, that actually, it actually got some honey from Uruguay. It's like usually Uruguay or somewhere else. But even if you go to... Uh, Trader Joe's is like the, the premium brand and you can get grass-fed meat there and it usually all comes from the U.S. But if you go to their lower brand, which is Aldi... Aldi, which a lot of people don't know, uh, Aldi's are the lower brand, but it's, it's actually like a bigger European brand. It's originally from Europe and there's different Aldi's in Europe. There's like two different, they have two different brands, but they're all the same parent company. Um, somebody said they're different companies, but I, I didn't see that. Um, but if you look at where your meat comes from, it comes from like Uruguay or somewhere else, which you know, I don't, I don't know how that beef is treated, but I'm looking for grass fed. I don't know what their standards of grass fed is. So that's another thing too. When you go and buy food, you could say, Oh, I'm getting grass fed beef from China. I'm pretty sure China's standards are way lower than American standards. So we don't have that. Like we don't Nowhere in the U S do you get beef from China? But the whole point is, is that the term grass fed is definitely defined differently in each country. But if if I say that it's grass-fed and I meet the standards of that country, I can still
1: legally say it's grass-fed, correct? Yeah. And for for over a decade now, Walmart has been marketing themselves to us that their products are made in America. And we all know that it is a lie. but But we still go there. As a people, we uh, as a people at least we're going there. We do and buying their products,
0: and that's and, that's and, an interesting and, thing too. Sorry, and keep we going.
1: know that it is a lie, and and we are willing to accept the lie because we are a society of convenience. Yes, we are. We we have it. I mean, I mean, like tonight, I've I've tasted a mead which was produced by you and also we have this local uh, mead or cider or whatever yeah. it is um that uh, it's from michigan you know it's being marketed as local it's from another state um, and we have it that somehow on an existential level we're doing something morally good yes uh but meanwhile the other 99.5% of products that we purchase i mean i mean you're a single white male. I'm a single white male. We have no children. We have no girlfriends. No. So clearly uh 99.5% of the products that we, po- we that we purchase, you and I, we have no emotional or existential relationship to what the heck it is that we're buying and where it came from. Correct. But but as soon as we buy a local quote unquote cider that's produced in Michigan, we 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 jump on this fact that somehow we're good Americans or good Ohioans or good Columbus residents um we're good people on an existential level we moralize this purchase and um and, and listen you're a good person like yeah. i know you you're a good person i know myself and at the level of my ego i have it that i am a good person i think you're a good dude otherwise i wouldn't hang out with you thank you, you. Thank you. Uh, you and be um, on this podcast. I, I mean, I mean, dude, you are you are uh, you are a local farmer. Yeah, I try to be. You are you are definitely going outside of the box in terms of contemporaneous economics. And I've never even heard of that term. That's pretty smart for well, me, Damon. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I'm just talking about the. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and and, and um. I mean, I'm certainly a person that attempts to be a thought leader. I attempt to think outside of the box. I, um, I I pay a price for it too. Well, true, uh, but but also there's a certain level of convenience to both of our existential inquiries that we're going on, because because we don't have a wife and kids. No, we don't. And
0: I think if you have a wife and kids, though, that that changes everything. I mean, which goes back to Walmart, right? So on average, Walmart saves the average American family, like $2,000 a year. Right. And everybody is like, everybody has their beef with Walmart, but everybody goes to Walmart and buys something like, that's the thing. Like, well, there's some product we all go to Walmart and we're like, it, it, and it might not be all the time, but it's like, you know what? I know I can go to Walmart there. There's a Walmart there. I'm just going to go there and buy this. I'm going to buy this hat. I'm going to buy this shirt. I'm going to buy these jeans. I'm going to buy this, these, this pair of running shoes, these socks, this underwear, you know what I mean? And it's cause it's convenient.
1: It's yeah. it's inexpensive, yeah, and it's easy, and 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 Walmart is just the paragon of that that culture of convenience. Absolutely. Um, now Amazon is stealing it. Well, right. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we have at a societal level, we have been reduced to nothing more than consumers. Yeah. And, and even the internet, everything on the internet now, there is no business model on the internet that doesn't involve marketing. Marketing's everything. And, and there is, and the entire internet itself and the products that are given to us to engage with the internet, assume that we are consumers and not creators. Yeah. Not creators of value because... Netflix and eBay and Amazon and cnn.com what do they all have in common and all of it they're they're assuming that 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 we are just plugging into a matrix where we are given shit yeah and we're not producing stuff to contribute yeah and so anyone who is using the internet to attempt to make money uh immediately gets pigeonholed into a model where they are just attempting to bring people to themselves in a marketing perspective. But
0: um just like we're saying, I mean, you know, the internet with the internet, um but it, it still goes back to like this culture of convenience. And it still goes back to why is why is Amazon, why is eBay, why is anything you get online, why do you do it? Because it's convenient. I mean like I, we have shit stacked up on my tarp that I haven't put out yet because I haven't read on my beds. I haven't really finished, you know, the, the farm plot in the backyard for the season. When I do, I'm going to put that tarp there. So what is it now? It's a, the box, it's right in front of you. That's it right there. The box filled with the tarp. And, um, but it, it, you know, it's, it's convenient for me. It's easy for me to do Amazon. It's prime. Now makes it even, have you used prime now yet? Uh, I've used Amazon some, but, um, no, not the prime. So prime now they, they get you something within two hours for free. You just pay the tip, the driver. And it's just kind of like an Uber type situation. Like you, you get a a local driver or somebody, you know, it's, it's like a contract position, just like Uber and they just deliver it right to your door.
1: That's absolutely unreal to think about. Yeah. And, and it, um, It's always marvelous to me how much third, you know, third world countries traditionally, as we call a third world country, they strive to be like us, American society, and um, we're the most unhappiest bastards you've ever come across. Yeah,
0: that's interesting, right?
1: And and, and why why is that though? But additionally, but additionally, I mean, before we even answer that question, yeah, additionally. We're going further down the convenience rabbit hole all the time. Right. With your Amazon Prime now. Where right. And, 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 it, and it boggles our minds that we can order something and have it delivered to our house within a couple of hours. And it's not a pizza. No. It's it's a product. It's toilet paper. It's Clorox
0: wipes. It's kitty litter. It's uh, kitty litter yeah. attachments like this right here, which yeah. is for my automatic litter box, which I also got on Prime now.
1: And, and, and at a societal level, even people who aren't trained in economics have this sense on a certain level, emotionally or existentially or whatever it is, they have this sense that we've sort of reached the end, we've reached the, 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 the peak of the business cycle where the business is at at its most mature level, and there's no more growth to be achieved, and then there's sort of this uh, decline into post climactic um, irrelevance, for lack of a better word. Um, even people that haven't studied economics and haven't studied like business and business cycles, they have this they have this sense on an emotional existential level that that the party uh has reached its full potential yeah uh and and um and for decades now decades uh you know like like products such as cigarettes and soda pop and movies uh their their, their biggest growth markets have been international outside of america uh, but as as business institutions, they have continued to remain relevant within American society, uh, even though their domestic profits are declining considerably. Their international profits are going through the roof, and there is this terminus that eventually will be achieved. When there's nowhere to expand to beyond the planet, I mean, I mean, the planet is massive, but there's only so much water. There's only so much air. There's only so much real estate, and there's only so many people that are going to want to continue buying the the most recent Blu-ray release of Batman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. There's this endpoint that we have to achieve, which is. Uh, which is not reflected in reality. In reality, there are cycles of growth and cycles of... Uh, decline. Decline, consolidation. Uh, there, there, there is inhaling and there is exhaling. And as much as I believe in our uh, Judeo-Christian Western traditions and our capitalism uh, as an economics philosophy... Like, at some point, you're not going to achieve 4 to 5% growth on an annual basis forever to infinity. And 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 we as, uh, well, I mean, my undergraduate degree is in economics. And we've reduced, econ- I mean, economics is a science. Yeah. But, but we've reduced it to witchcraft.
0: Yeah. I mean, and also too, I mean, something that we've been talking about the whole time is inexpensive energy and, and how much in this witchcraft of economics do people not talk about the cost of energy? Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, that's like the, that's a humongous driving factor. Um, so, and and with that being said, do you want to, do you want to kind of segue? We're we're close to an hour here. We've been talking a lot. We had these ideas when we were eating some delicious smoked wings and having some cocktails. We, were, we wanted to talk
1: about, we were originally going to talk about the election. We were going to talk about the election. We so should we talk
0: the about yet. the election? Let's talk um, about the election.
1: Yeah, sure. What, whatever you want to talk about. It's the sample hour. Sample me. Let's
0: sample it. Yeah. So you and I both, um, neither of us were particular Trump fans. But the idea of Donald Trump being president was very provocative. It was, uh, at first, I I bought into, I had had Jeffrey Tucker on the podcast, so I really respect and think he's a super smart guy. He's from uh, uh, Fee. Are you familiar with Fee? Like fee.org, F-E-E. And uh, Jeffrey, you know, he, I heard him on this podcast talking about how the dangers of Trump, and it actually made a lot of sense. Like, he's not beholden to anybody. So he could be a person who is going to do the right thing, or he could be a person that's going to do an even scarier thing. And there was this, this sense of unknown about Trump. And then as the election started winding down, and it was like, I actually, I, uh, my friend Rob Kaiser, he got me hooked on Can't Stump the Trump the
1: the YouTube video series. I have seen those. You me I, I know.
0: And, and they're so funny. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's see Trump win. I'm going to root for Trump. I, I didn't vote. I, uh, I vote for nobody because nobody, uh, nobody never keeps his promises, you know, or always keeps his promises. Nobody, nobody, uh, always, you know, does what he says he's going to do and everything else. So I vote for nobody. <laughs> Jesus. So, anyways, but we we talked about it, right? We were talking about Scott Adams. We were both reading his blog. I remember when we were working in my in my backyard on the micro farm. We were talking a lot about Trump and and like Scott Adams and um the the realities that Scott Adams started talking about towards the end, towards the election, that this this election isn't just going to change what you think about politics; it's going to change what you you think about reality you and I both bet money on Trump. Like we both bet on Trump. And I even, I even said to, uh, you know, my, my good buddy, Greg Burns, first time on the podcast. I'm like, yeah, I think Trump's going to win. Cause he's the most entertaining, the most entertaining president has won every year. And afterward he was like, man, do you really think it's going to be Trump? He's like, you know, I just think it's going to be Hillary. Like I think it's, you know, same, same old. And then towards the end, he said, you know, I kind of hope it's Trump. Because then Trump can go in the office and Trump can, he's just going to go in the back of the room with pretty much the deep, he didn't say the deep state, but what we refer to as a deep state. And they're going to say, well, this is what you want to do, but this is what you can actually do. And then everybody can see that nobody's perfect. And, And I think that would be good too. So people can see, yeah, it's all bullshit, but we don't know. That's the whole thing. We don't know what's going on with this election. We've we've talked quite a bit about being accused of being racist or anything else and, and the bets we made and I gave both my parents three to one odds that if Hillary won, they were gonna get thirty dollars and I was gonna get ten. If if Trump won and like gave them great odds, you went through bets too, and now people are becoming missing persons and everything else like yeah. that.
1: I mean, I mean, I had uh, $270 in bets at even money. Uh, so it was like, you know, my $20 on Trump to their $20 on Hillary. And if you look at the betting sites, um, they were... 4
0: to 1 in the UK yeah. ones, and it was 10 to 1 in Vegas. Yeah,
1: and then, like, you know, within the 24 to 48 hours before Election Day, the New York Times said that it was a 90% uh, odds that hillary would win the election and 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 i I mean i mean the only person i have heard to give to make more ludicrous bets than the even money bets that i made is you yeah you you actually gave your parents odds on a bet where they should have been giving you odds exactly and then they
0: actually called me afterward and said you know you were right and i'm like I'm not going to act like I'm actually happy about being right. I just, that's what I thought was going to happen. I mean, I, I didn't even vote. I didn't vote on anything.
1: Yeah. And, um, I mean, I voted for Trump and, and I would actually argue with, uh, one of the very first things you said about the election. Um, the moment that Donald Trump announced that he was running, I was very excited by his candidacy. And, um, well, cause it's provocative. You, you uh right
0: and um and something too about the pollsters Everyone was talking about the pollsters nobody was talking about trump's twitter analytics what kind of penetration how many people were looking
1: at his twitter feed which is crazy he's the first president-elect to do this the, the huffington post immediately made an editorial announcement that they were not going to discuss his candidacy within the politics section of their site they 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 were relegating him to the entertainment section. Um, the Huffington Post got it wrong. Absolutely. Dead wrong. Absolutely. And
0: um, and they're still trying to paint him as this crazy new Hitler.
1: Yeah. And um, uh, how many people link to the Huffington Post? And the Huffington Post has proven their irrelevance. And especially, I'm pretty sure
0: Ariana Huffington was a pretty staunch conservative neocon for a long fucking time. And then she created the Huffington Post and became this uber left liberal, which even the weirder thing is this, like, you know, I, 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 I was talking to you earlier, Charles Hugh Smith, I shared one of his more recent blog posts about the the threat of the working class to the ruling elites. And oddly enough, the left, which has always championed unions, working class, representing the everyday man, some asshole, troll, got on there and commented underneath uh, my mentor in farming's comment on my post, sounds like propaganda from the right. When does the right propaganda ever talk about
1: the working class? The WikiLeaks releases of the Podesta emails show that there are emails from Arianna Huffington to the Clinton campaign within, or, or uh, well, it, it, it's either the Clinton campaign or the Clinton Foundation, where Arianna Huffington is discussing with them how she should not be named to the Clinton Foundation Board of Directors so that she can use the Huffington Post as a mouthpiece to mirror perfectly the message that the Clintons are wanting released publicly. And and, and and there will be the avoidance of this appearance of a conflict of interest because she hasn't been named to the Clinton Foundation Board of Directors.
0: Crazy. And it, it's also interesting, too, because, you know, WikiLeaks was the champion driver of liberal anti-war movement that disappeared as soon as Obama got elected.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean how... We are, right now, it's a Monday night. We are 13 days out from election night 2016 in America. And I still have friends and relatives who are linking to the Huffington Post as though the Huffington Post is some sort of real news source. No, it's utter bullshit. And, And the conversation going on within our society right now is that we need to eliminate fake news sources. The Huffington Post... Number one is a fake news source, and even if you even if you're not familiar with the WikiLeaks releases and the Podesta emails, even if you're not familiar with that, the Huffington Post got it wrong.
0: Absolutely. What about uh, two? I mean, and you showed this to me. It was like the night before the election. We hung out, and right before I went to Florida, was even Fox News, which is supposed to be the independent news source, couldn't. They were saying. Uh, sexual predator Donald Trump and then Newt Gingrich is on Megyn Kelly right? and she cannot even say the words. He goes, look, this, you're proving my point. All I need you to do is say Bill Clinton's a sexual predator and she wouldn't say it. He said, well, you know how I feel about Bill Clinton. I did that piece. He goes, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying right now, say Bill Clinton's a sexual predator. See if you can say that. And she refused to say it. She didn't say it at all. And then they just ended the interview like how fucking crazy is it that this election made Ann Coulter and Newt Gingrich and Rush Limbaugh all be relevant? Yeah. I mean the whole fucking conversation for like the past 15, 20
1: years has turned upside down. This truly has been the election of our lifetimes. Uh, Ann Coulter is suddenly relevant again. Newt Gingrich is who sub- is kind of the definition of white privilege. Ann Coulter, wow,
0: especially when you when you like, I mean, when you talk about white privilege, that's somebody who really does have white privileges. Ann Coulter,
1: <laughs> right. Uh, Newt, Newt Gingrich is relevant again. Uh, you know the. In, you know fox news they like to market themselves as fair and unbiased which is bullshit uh yeah and and uh, but we all know the truth and that is that they are the mouth and that is that they are the mouthpiece of quote unquote conservatism
0: well it's uh, it's neoconservatism which which usually all the neocons actually which uh thaddeus russell who wrote uh The Renegade History of the United States, pretty much, I mean, his book is great, but he pretty much says all the neocons are ex-progressives in
1: reality, which they are. Right. And and, and that's the thing. Like it's being a false choice is being presented to us as a civilization. Correct. And that choice is right and left uh, conservatism and progressivism. And, um, which is the real relevance of
0: the alt-right. Like it gets painted as this, um, racist, which there are fucking racial fact- factions in the alt-right. Like I used to be a big fan of a show called, uh, red ice media, red ice media used to be just this guy from Sweden, Heinrich, uh, something. And he just would have different shit. I mean, that's how I found one of my best friends, Nathan Fraser. He was on a show. And then I think six months later, Heinrich just started going in this, like, racial shit. Like, and it was like, man, like, racism is on both sides of the equation, though. Like, everyone's like, yeah, every racist voted for Trump, though. But it's like, okay, well, what about people that hate white people? How many people that hate white people fucking voted for Hillary? Which really just kind of shows how trivial that statement is.
1: Including white people that hate white people. Yeah. Listen, as soon as you step outside of the conventional, mainstream, whitewashed, whatever adjective you want to use to describe it, as soon as you step outside of the mainstream uh, conversations that occur within a box, a box of acceptability that, that, that we as a collective society somehow place upon all the possible conversations that exist, Politically, economically, socially, morally. As soon as you step outside of that, you're immediately venturing down the rabbit hole of of some opinions that are potentially quite noxious. And trivial. And quite poisonous and quite trivial, possibly. Or they might be the most relevant thing you've ever heard in your life. It's just that we're not allowed to discuss it.
0: Yeah, society—it's—it's it's controversial. It's—it's—it's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's weird, man. Like, it's—it's it's definitely weird to think about. Like, I—I I just feel like I'm some normal guy who's finding his place in this world, in this country, in this state, in this yeah. city. And I have people that say, "I really like your podcast because it's controversial." I'm like, "Yeah, man." I talk about small-scale farming and real economics. How is that controversial? And he goes, "No, like." What you're doing is controversial because it's so against the, the mainstream of
1: thinking. Somehow, this consumerist society that we live within and our own definitions of morality that we apply to ourselves have intersected with this technology called the television and the radio. And so we have put ourselves and in. Now the internet. Yeah. Well well I mean I mean I'm getting to the internet in just a moment. My apologies. We've 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 put ourselves into this box where there's only certain acceptable things worthy of our conversation and our consideration on an intellectual level. And uh anyone who stepped outside of that zone on an intellectual and perhaps philosophical level has been engaging in something truly profound maybe uh, it, it's been one of two polarities it's either been extremely profound or it's been absolutely irrelevant and then and then all of a sudden this technology called the internet comes along which which maximizes our connectivity to other people who are thinking alongside of these topics that secretly many of us are 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 conversing with ourselves inside our own heads like like jesus am i the one that's crazy here or is the rest of society crazy and now thanks to the internet we found one another uh, do you remember the conversation
0: we had the day before about tomorrow we're going to find out if what we are actually thinking is a reality or if it's false right and right. that and that was kind of what this election was i mean it was do people really want to have multiple pronouns for different gender identities and everything else. And it was so weird because this one election, I mean, the Brexit was, uh, Gavin McInnes said it best. And a lot of people don't like Gavin McInnes, but he said it best. It's like, you know, this election was like the, the reset button on a piece of electronics, right? You take the little pin, you stick it in, and you hit reset. And that's kind of what the selection did, because not only is now the Republican Party totally resetting because everyone hated Trump and he won flying colors by a landslide in the Republican Party. Right. And now everyone's like, what are the Republicans going to do when Trump loses? But now it's like, well, what are the Democrats going to do? Yeah, they they rigged an election against the guy that actually represented their values, which was Bernie Sanders, who had he was like the liberal Ron Paul in a lot of senses. And they rigged an election against him, and then they still lost. And it's like, so what are they gonna do now? Who's gonna who's gonna pick up the reins? Like I was reading something like Joe Biden is now gonna be go to the DNC, and it's like Joe Biden is interesting. Like, you really think that's gonna fix your issue? And it's like it's interesting because I remember everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people were talking about Megan McCain john's daughter right after the 2008 election like she was saying well yeah i think republicans should embrace gay marriage like because things have to change and it's interesting because there's like guys like ted cruz who go on stage and associate with pastors who who like pretty much say based on the bible we should execute gays and which is fucked up and and he lost by a landslide. He was the closest guy to Trump and he lost by a landslide in the Republican election in the Republican uh, primaries. And now we're just pressing reset. Like what's going to happen? Nobody fucking knows. Like nobody knows what's going to happen with Trump. Nobody knows. And I think that's what scares people And it. Another interesting thing is Scott Adams said it best when he was talking about when he made the prediction that Trump was going to win by a landslide. And I even witnessed it. I was in michigan camping and this is totally anecdotal but it it proved his point like this guy he thought i was super cool because i was you know i'm all about rights and gun rights and everything because you know i'm like a libertarian anarchist type guy and you know he's in the michigan militia which i remember the michigan militia was pretty anti bush too like i remember my uncle was like a member and my uncle i love him rest rest in peace um but seriously, like, he he taught me a lot about being a man and why, you know, he was like a, he was a badass dude, but he was always a guy that greeted you with a smile and a big fucking hug that would take your breath away because he'd squeeze you so hard, right? And so, but what Scott Adams said was that Trump supporters at the beginning, you'd ask him what's Trump going to do? And they'd be like, look, when Trump hits office, this is what I would do. And that was always, like, their thing, right? A lot of the, like, mainstream Trump supporters, they'd tell you what they would do. Yeah. And it was kind of like his his persuasion factor. Like, you, nobody knew what he was going to do, but they would tell you what he was going to do. But then there was the opposite thing, right? The people that didn't support Trump, they would tell you what he was going to do. was going to be the worst fucking thing ever. Oh, he's yeah. going to round people up in camps. He's going to be the next Hitler and all this shit. And Yeah. And we don't know. I mean, we don't know. But from what I've seen, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's going to do. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's fascinating, man.
1: Well, once again, you have, uh, um, you've touched on multiple topics that are fascinating, and I've lost three of them. But, but, but let me say this to summarize what you're talking about. Uh, obviously, the people want change. In 2008, yeah. they voted for change with Obama. They, they didn't get it. Well, yeah, uh, we're getting there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they voted for change, and they were uh, excited to vote for uh, a black man uh, as president and have the first African American president. And they were excited for this. And 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 look at that moment in time. I think people were uh exhausted by the war on terror. They, the war on drugs? Yeah. They, uh, yeah. I mean I mean they were they were uh you didn't hear a lot of people verbalizing this necessarily, but I think people were starting to get tired of the war on drugs, the war on poverty. Um and uh the success of the Bush presidency the W Bush presidency was definitely due to a reaction to nine 11. Yeah. And, um, but after basically eight years of that, people were kind of tired of the war on terror and, uh, they, they definitely had some desire for change. And then Obama comes into office, immediately gets the Nobel peace prize. Everybody's, Everybody's feeling great about how we voted for this. I nearly voted for Obama. Yeah. I nearly voted for Obama because he promised to close Guantanamo Bay.
0: Yeah, he promised a lot of things. And his rhetoric was very different than what he was writing at the
1: time. And and then over eight years, he basically fulfills zero of his campaign promises except for he eventually gave us Obamacare, which – which
0: actually, though, like, out of all fairness to Obama, like, he wanted it to be what it was because he wanted to create a situation where it was so fucked up that somebody would have to fix health care. That's part of Obamacare. Yeah. And um, then even now Trump is saying, well, I'm not going to throw out everything
1: of Obamacare. Like, I'm going to throw out this piece of it. Well, let's let's not even be fair to Obama for a moment. I mean, I mean, this guy's the president. Like, if he can't fix it, who can? And yeah, and, and um, well, getting back to my point, let, let's sorry just about get back that. To my yeah, point. Keep going. No, um, the people want to change, and then we see by the end of the Obama presidency, we basically see that the entire thing was a continuation of Bush policies no wall street executive goes to jail extensions of the patriot act yeah no wall street executive goes to jail the the secret wars and drone wars conducted in third world countries are magnified under obama he promised us the most transparent administration in american history and then did not deliver upon that and um went after many whistleblowers. Uh, you know, Bradley Manning, Chelsea Manning is is still in prison. Uh, Edward Snowden, uh, through the machinations of the American government, wound up in Russia and was basically forced to stay there by American intervention. And uh, Russia... Uh, during the negotiations to turn Edward Snowden over to the Americans, Russia said, "Look, promise us that you won 't torture him, and our American government refused to give that guarantee and so russia wouldn 't turn him over like like our American government was the bad guy in that in that conversation. And so by the end of eight years, we we basically have nothing to show for Obama's legacy other than Obamacare, which uh, the premiums are going through the roof, and no one's happy. Even Bill Clinton said this
0: system's messed up. Yes. Bill Clinton said that at a speech before,
1: right during the election. It was a big deal. And, And then you get this candidacy of Bernie Sanders where there's obviously massive grassroots support of this man. Uh, I mean, personally, I, I went around to all my democratic friends and said, Hey, do the right thing. I'll vote for Bernie. Make sure he gets the nomination. And then they didn't. No, no,
0: they definitely didn't. I I was surprised that, uh, my parents weren't behind Bernie.
1: Yeah.
0: My parents, my parents thought that Obama was doing great work. And I'm like, what is he doing differently than Bush? Exactly. And, um, the, liber, the liberal anti-war people were gone. They disappeared. They fell off the face of the earth. Which they're going to rear their head again, probably as soon as Trump gets elected. Well, they did. Yeah,
1: they did. I mean, I mean, that's. I mean, the last two weeks have been hellish for me as a Trump supporter. Um, but the one, the one silver lining that that I said starting the Thursday morning after the Tuesday night election was. I said to my buddy who was also a Trump supporter, I said, you know what? We're getting a lot of hate right now, and everyone is pissed off at us. But on another level, it's so nice to have all these Democrats back. Yeah. Because for because – Now for, they give a shit again. Yeah. They give a shit again. For eight years, they've given Obama a pass on everything. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean he's been screwing American society over –
0: yeah. How, how the fuck can you create a health care plan that penalizes poor people for not wanting to pay the fucking expensive premiums of Obamacare? Cause yeah. they can't afford it. But, oh, guess what? You're not going to get as much money in taxes and you're going to face a penalty if you don't get health insurance through Obamacare.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and so this, this candidacy of Bernie Sanders, obviously the people want change. Uh, and, and then Bernie didn't get the nomination. Oh wait! It turns out the DNC was conspiring to make sure that he did not get the nomination.
0: A dude ended up dead who released the information
1: to WikiLeaks. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that. That's apparently the truth. Yeah. And and, and then people want change so bad they voted for Trump. Yeah. And a and, reality TV star and 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 the the dnc establishment was so out of touch with the american people that they totally overlooked the fact that that 50% of american society would not vote for someone with the last name clinton if you held a gun to their head it's crazy and donald trump is exhibit a yeah of that yeah and 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 the more ridiculous things that came out of his mouth, the more popular the election, he got, the more popular he became, and and in fact, it's come out in the Podesta emails under WikiLeaks release that it was a that it was a DNC strategy to for for the media that was conspiring with the DNC and with the Clinton campaign. It was a strategy of theirs called Pied Piper to to emphasize in the media. The most undesirable Republican candidates, which are Ben Carson, Ted Cruz, and Donald Trump, yep. and Donald Trump just turned out to be the homecoming queen of it all. <laughs> and, and and then and then they not only were out of touch with American society on this level, they actually did a complete 180 of what Americans of, of, of their expected reaction of American society. They put the prize pig in front of us and elevated him to a place where we would vote for him over Clinton. Yeah. The DNC, if you want to lay this at anyone's footstep, lay it at the footstep of the DNC. Absolutely. The Democratic National Committee. Yeah. They elevated Trump with all the free media exposure. He, if you, They made at- him president. Yeah, and look at the money he
0: spent on his campaign versus Clinton and it's it's not even close. And, and and oh
1: by the way. Oh by the way, if you want to talk conspiracy theories. Remember a year and a half to 2 years ago when all the political establishment was talking about how the 2016 election would be Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Like they called it. Okay, so so we know for a fact We know for a fact that the Democratic primary at the presidential level was rigged. Yeah. Rigged in favor of Clinton over Sanders. Okay. And then in the general election, we know that both sides, Trump first, was talking about the general election being rigged. And then eventually, Obama and Hillary were also talking about the election being rigged. Okay? Think about that for a moment. This is the United States of America, and all parties involved in the general election are talking about it being rigged. Is this not banana republic-level politics? Definitely is. Okay, on top of that we know that Democratic primary was rigged. Okay, let let me take you back to the Republican primary. Who has said that the Republican primary wasn't rigged? No one has said that. Yeah. How do we know that it wasn't rigged and, oh, all of a sudden, this fly in the ointment named Donald J. Trump comes along and upsets the apple cart completely. Yeah. Well, how do we not know that? Because, because a year and a half to two years ago, the, the, the mainstream media was talking about how it would be Jeb Bush versus Clinton. Yeah. It, the whole thing was rigged from the jump. Yeah. And the, the
0: other interesting factor is, too, like I was definitely part of the camp initially that Trump ran initially – to help hillary and then i man i still don't you believed that i did believe that yes i did believe that and then when it seemed like he was winning by a landslide i felt like he was like well fuck it man i could win this whole fucking thing and i can put obama in his place from making fun of me at that breakfast right it's
1: so fucking right. crazy, dude. Right. And and, and and that was a believable theory. Yeah. Because the Clintons came to Donald Trump's wedding with Melania. And he gave money to Hillary Clinton to run. Yeah. And and, and during the Republican prime uh, during the Republican uh primary debate. Actually against Rudy Giuliani, who's now in his corner. Yeah. During the Republican primary debates, that was one of the first questions that was thrown at Donald Trump. Was, was you've contributed to all these Democrats. You've identified as a Democrat for all these years. Like, like why should we give you the Republican nomination? And he said, I'm a businessman. What else am I supposed to do as a yeah. businessman? And, and, and he said, I've not only contributed to Democrats, I've contributed to Republicans. I contribute to all of them. And I know that once they're elected, I will call them and they will answer their phone. And I believe it was Kasich John Kasich, our Ohio governor, I believe it was him in that, in that, uh, debate that then jumped in and said, well, you haven't contributed to my campaign <laughs> and <laughs> with no sense of irony, with no sense of, of, uh, 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 uh with, 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 no existential sense of maybe I'm a total whore. Yeah. He says, well, you haven't contributed to my campaign. Totally missing the point that Donald Trump is saying. Yeah. That these are nothing more than puppets that I buy and
0: sell. Yeah, it was weird. It, then it was like, oh, the puppet masters aren't against puppets. Now the other puppet masters are getting pissed off, like the Koch brothers and everyone else, yeah. who who actually own like Reason Magazine, the Cato Institute. Like They bankroll a lot of that shit, which for libertarians should be like, well... You should pay attention to that. Follow the fucking money, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, follow the fucking money. And that's, I mean, that's an interesting thing, too, man. It was interesting. Charles wrote that article about how the the deep state was going to dump Hillary. And, yes. And then it turned out it looked like it was true. Yeah. I mean, we don't fucking know. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like the weird thing about this election was it seems like there was a conflict between, the military-industrial complex and the military. There was definitely some conflict within the FBI since Comey closed the case. Said normal situation pretty much said in normal situations, somebody would would actually face charges for this. But we're not going to face charges. Hillary's not going to face charges, which is what he pretty much said. And then he reopens the investigation. It gets closed again, and I mean, it's uh, it's interesting man i mean it's interesting i don't have the answers but i can just make some observations and say well this is fascinating
1: this uh this election for me was the year of the vindication of the conspiracy theorists
0: it really was especially now a Pizzagate spirit cooking all that oh. shit that
1: seems ridiculous Let's, no drew we'll, we'll talk about that six months from now yeah we'll, we'll have a two-hour podcast on that dude Look at look at all the things that happened in this election. Uh um, the the uh, tarmac meeting of Bill Clinton and the Attorney General. What's Lynch. her name? Yeah, Lynch. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, which is crazy. They were, I mean, that's they were crazy. Just talking about the grandkids. The, the National Enquirer ran a story <laughs> about Ted Cruz's father being with Lee Harvey Oswald. In Dallas, around the time of the JFK assassination, and Ted Cruz never denied it. And yeah, that's the thing. Nobody denies the claims of which this is. This is the year of the non denial. Like here is something too, right? The, the National Enquirer was a relevant media source for this election multiple times. How weird is that? But also too, think about this, right? If you are
0: the guy that owns Comet Ping Pong. And somebody says that you are using this business and your Instagram as a front of, let's say you own a business, a local pizza yeah. place where you can play ping pong here in Columbus, Ohio. I wrote an article that said Damon is is, is running this for, for child trafficking and all this shit. Wouldn't you immediately say that's totally not true and make fun of it? Or wouldn't you totally acknowledge
1: would, it? You would immediately deny it.
0: Or deny I mean, it?
1: I mean, I mean, or, or would assuming you, it's not true, or or would, I would you immediately deny? It.
0: Or would you just make your Instagram a hundred percent private, not address it? See all these Google reviews from these trolls of 4chan posting shit about like just goofy shit. Like, man, some of these reviews are comical, but it's fucked up. It's like, oh, I went in there and then my my child disappeared for an hour, and then the yeah. owner was kind enough to find him and bring him back
1: to me. I, I ordered a cheese pizza, and the manager took me to a downstairs tunnel. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Uh, you know. Right. One star, right? And that, and if you Google...
0: Google and, I, and I didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> Google Google Comet. Oh, and then I decided to just get up from the table and leave because it creeped me out. Google Comet ping pong. Go to the Google reviews and read them. They're funny but fucked up all at the same time. <laughs> and, and 4chan broke this before WikiLeaks. I mean, 4chan... Yeah four chan
1: became relevant in this election. Anyone listening to this podcast, don't do what Drew is suggesting. Don't, don't don't go look at the at the Google and Yelp reviews. Go look at the WikiLeaks releases of the Podesta emails. Yeah. Look at look at the research. There the, the circumstantial evidence within yeah. those emails that there may be a satanic uh pagan Pedophilic cult, so crazy, going on with the Clinton campaign and the Clinton Foundation and people associated with it. the The circumstantial evidence of that is massive. Yeah, it's, massive, it's, and
0: it even shows that Reagan apparently bought a kid. The Bushes bought a kid. I mean, it goes, it goes fucking deep, man. I mean, it's like, Look, it's like crazy shit that you are like, man, eight years ago when people were saying this shit. I just thought it was bull. When Alex Jones was reporting, Alex Jones became
1: relevant. Alex oh, Jones became relevant in this election. That? Donald Trump was the first presidential candidate, to my knowledge at least, the first presidential candidate to be interviewed by Alex Jones. Yeah. Alex Jones was a relevant media source in this election, and, and, he, and his analysis was more accurate than the New York Times the night of the election saying that Hillary had a ninety percent chance to win the election. Yeah. Like it's, it's so
0: fucking this is the like
1: year it. of the revenge of the conspiracy theorists. Yeah.
0: And also to simulation theory. <laughs>
1: Dude, we can do we can do a dozen podcasts about the topics that we have scratched the surface of in this podcast. And, uh, I mean, this is how revolutionary this election has become within yeah. within American life. It's so well, the world life and reality. Well, that's that's the other consideration. I mean, I mean, this is just one domino. What in were the we talking huge... about too?
0: Zero Hedge posted that article about the way currency was flowing before the Brexit with the pound. And the dollar was doing the same exact thing before the American election
1: too, right? Um, so, um, yeah. So, so Brexit and the Trump election both defied pollster predictions beforehand, and they
0: both had the same evil
1: reaction of "We need a recall. We yeah. need a
0: revote. We need to do this." And it's like, yeah, it's it's just mind boggling, man. And I don't, I don't I don't really
1: know what's gonna happen but well, well i mean i mean that's just one layer of the onion
0: that you yeah. just said
1: uh, the, the one that you were alluding to a moment ago is that uh the economic indicators uh within the various markets the stock markets the bond markets the currency markets were all mirroring uh, uh before the american election they were mirroring the brexit. Uh, the 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 uh the european and british markets before the brexit election uh in june i believe it was yeah so um yeah it, it was the end of june because i remember
0: i remember my mastermind group we took the night off for the brexit it was like "Well, it's fourth of july weekend. i'm going camping can we take this weekend off we're like, well, we're not gonna do it for the Fourth of July, but we're gonna do it for the Brexit. Like we're gonna celebrate the weekend of the Brexit. So, yeah, it was the end of June.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah, we we uh we are witnessing something that is culturally and politically and economically revolutionary uh worldwide in uh In the various economies and in the various uh, theaters of culture and politics and and economy, uh, we are witnessing a transition away from globalization to more to nationalization, localization. Uh, We are witnessing a reversal of trends that have been going on for 20 years. Well. Well, I was getting ready to say as many as six centuries. Yeah. And 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 we don't necessarily know the implications of this. No. And that is before you throw into the models. That's before you throw into those models things such as uh, topics such as peak oil, uh the internet, uh Decentralization. The con- the, the, the continuing increase of technology and invent an invention and innovation that homo sapiens are creating upon this planet. Yeah. Uh, we haven't, we haven't even touched on, um, ecosystems and the natural order of the planet. Uh, and, and, and we are witnessing, uh, species, uh, die off at massive rates. Uh, like, like, like the future is massively unpredictable. Yeah, on a planetary scale, and um, who knows where this is headed? We don't even know where this is headed for fifty years from now, much less two hundred years from now,
0: or even eight years from now. Uh,
1: yeah, truly, truly. On an economic, yeah, this is this. I, I mean, this may well be the inflection point that future historians look back on and 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 who knows what they'll say about us it's interesting regardless um the Ch- the chinese have a saying may you live in interesting times yeah and here we are yeah and uh these topics are uh something that people such as you and I ponder on incessantly Uh, because, you know, for, for some reason on an existential level, this gives us more juice than actually trying to go out and have a great dating life (laughs) Uh, (laughs) or have a great family life. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and, and that's just when we're sober. I mean, once, once you get a few drinks in us, then we really start pontificating. Yeah. Uh, yeah and th- and god bless the internet that we have this technology to publish this stuff for whoever the heck cares enough to to, to listen. listen
0: or converse about it uh, uh,
1: but, but but these are i assert that these are worthy considerations of all of us yeah uh because um we all of us individually should take more responsibility for where we're headed as a species. Where you're headed as an individual even. Yeah. Uh, um, We, Homo sapiens, are now exerting uh, through technology, we are now exerting, I believe on an evolutionary scale, we are exerting like 10,000 times the amount of force on our natural environment that any other species has on an individual level. Because we have all this technology that we surround ourselves with, you know, you know, internet, computers, and, and and you know, on top of just the shovel and the hammer and the tools that we that we use, Absolutely. and so, and so, our relationship to the planet, um, is worthy of us to consider: who are we really? What is the point of this human experience? What is the point of our lives? And is there anything that, uh, to whatever extent, we have created our own doom? Is there anything we can do to stop it? And and to whatever extent we are capable and responsible for our own deification for our own transformation to the next level of the evolution of life itself on a personal level, how can we be responsible for furthering that? Yeah. And making that happen. Absolutely. And, and, and so it is upon all of us, um, all of us in this postmodern Western tradition Democratic, capitalist societies that we inhabit, we we all have a certain we we all have a certain responsibility to uh, to consider these questions at this extreme level. Yeah, and 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 on whatever moral or existential level you engage in these questions, um, do you know take action? Yeah, do something. To further uh, whatever the picture is that you see. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, you want to
0: wrap it up and talk about uh, what you're doing now as a professional or do you want to hold off that for another podcast? Oh, let's, let's save that for later. All right. I think for later, I think with that, that's a good way to wrap it up. Um, Let's give a shout out to uh, my affiliates. Damon, what do you say? So, uh, Yes. Go to uh, click on the link in the show notes. Go to Nature's Image Farm. Everything's pretty much sold out. Um, I just helped butcher the rest of the turkeys. There's nothing for sale. All the pork, all the turkeys, all sold out. Chickens, nothing's really for sale. However, if you want to get baking four and fourteen of Comfrey, um, Comfrey's good stuff, by the way. It's like good for natural healing and everything, Damon. Um, you can you can either email nature's image farm at gmail.com or send a Facebook link or a Facebook message when you click on the link in the show notes it will take you straight to the Facebook page. It can be the picture it's also at the right of the screen on the website you'll see the nature's image farm logo. If you click on that it will take you there. Also go to newfarmsupply dot com My good buddy net grant Schultz usually has tree starts tree stock uh, He's got a lot of stuff right now. He just, uh, it's its the off season. He doesn't have a lot of stuff there. He does have some tree grafting tools and some some other cool shit. So check out newfarmsupply.com. Use code word SAMPLE and save 20%. And you can also get free shipping. There you go. Uh, also, if you want to join the crazy small-scale farmer movement, a great way if you want to learn how to small-scale farm and make money at it, uh, click on the link for profitable urban farming. There's two links. The first one is the first image. If you click on that, save a hundred dollars off the course. So that's a pretty good deal. You get it just strictly through the sample hour. Um, also if you just want to sign up for the payment plan, which is what I did, you can click on the link in the show notes. Damon, if people want to get in touch with you, or if people want to ask you a question, pick your brain about other stuff, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you?
1: Uh, my personal email, Damon Bingman at gmail.com. How do you spell Bingman? Uh, uh, it's D A M O N, Bingman, B as in boy, I N G M A N, Bingman, uh, Bing B as in boy, I N G M A N, at gmail.com. Damon Bingman at gmail.com. And, uh, Are you accepting Facebook friend requests if people want to Facebook friend you? Uh, to hell with Facebook. Uh, I am accepting <laughs> Facebook requests, but. Uh, I'm done with Facebook. What about Twitter? Uh, Twitter, it's at Damon Bingman. Um, I am still on Twitter, at least until they ban my account. Until you get banned for being Uh, uh, deplorable. Yeah. And then um,
0: what about uh, Instagram? Are you on Instagram? No. Not yet? No. Maybe.
1: No. 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 You can take pictures of financial markets and say, blah, 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 blah. Damon Um, Bingman. You know, I'm, a uh, uh, social media is an interesting topic. We'll talk about it another time. I'm, I'm very much, uh, at peak social media and I'm backing off. And, um, um, yeah, no, it, uh, um, I, I, I am definitely decreasing my social media exposure. And, um, you know, DamonBingman at com, and, uh, God bless America. Make America great again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Let's make America great
1: again. Uh, no, but God bless America. Ultimately, God take responsibility
0: you for yourself. Figure out how you fit in in this world. Try to be a resilient human being. Grow your own food. Figure out a way that you can have your own doctor. Figure out a way you can have your own law enforcement. Be resilient. That's what it's all about. Entrepreneurship is a tool for me to help me be resilient. Damon, would you say the same thing?
1: Uh, you know, I I would say that uh, you know, when you're on a on an airplane and the oxygen mask comes down, you get to put your own oxygen mask on first, and then you can help other people, and then you can help, yeah, and and so that's really something. Uh, I mean, that is a metaphor for life itself. Uh, take care of yourself, be good to yourself, and then from that place, give unto others and the giving is in the getting and, uh, just be good to your fellow man. And, um, yeah, God
0: bless us all. Thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in. Looking forward to bringing you another episode soon.